Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 14 of the Eyes Free Sports Podcast. Once again, my name is Greg Lindbergh. On this episode of the podcast, we catch up with a young man of many talents. Not only is he the co-founder of the Beautiful Lives Project, which is a nonprofit that connects people with disabilities to unique opportunities, but he also serves as a color commentator for many sporting events. So, here we go with episode number 14. Alright, so joining me on this episode of the podcast is uh, someone I consider to be a renaissance man. He's a man of many talents, wears many hats, and he is the co-founder of the Beautiful Lives Project. His name is Bryce Weiler. Bryce, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Greg. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. Definitely looking forward to this conversation for a while now, so I appreciate you taking the time. If we could just uh, kick things off here, if you could just give a bio about yourself, you know, where you were born, where you're from, where you grew up, and then kind of, you know, your, your early life. I was born in Terre Haute, Indiana. I was born four months premature, and the retinas in my eyes detached. Uh, maybe from too much oxygen or too much light when I was in the hospital. My eye condition is retinopathy of prematurity. And I grew up listening to St. Louis Cardinals baseball games on the radio, and listening to sports was always something that was really uh, important to me. And then later, I would even commentate sports on the radio as a broadcaster. Very cool. And I'm curious, you know, in school, were you mainstreamed? I went to public school up through the freshman year of high school, and after my freshman year, I went to a blind school, Indiana uh, School for the Blind. I see. Interesting. And what uh, what made you you know decide to, to go to the blind school? I'm curious. There was just better training at the Indiana School for the Blind in technology and cooking, and I thought that was really important and, and things that I really found useful as I went through my time after that, uh, going to college and then searching for jobs. Gotcha. So then you did graduate from uh, the Indiana School for the Blind. Yes, in June of 2010. And then I understand you did uh, get actually a few degrees in college, correct? Yeah, I went to undergraduate and then uh, graduate school as well. I studied sports management and sports broadcasting. I'm curious about college, just, you know, the the accommodations, the accessibility. What was your overall college experience life uh, like being, you know, a blind student? College, uh, it was fine. Staff was able to, to put books on my laptop. They'd either scan them into Word documents for me, or I could listen to books uh, as well on CD. And when I would take tests, I would take them in my own uh, separate room. And I normally had double time for every test, so things, things turned out really well. Nice. Very cool. And then I understand it was in college. Is that kind of when you started getting into to broadcasting? That's where I started getting into broadcasting. I was fortunate enough to have the former Evansville head men's basketball coach, Marty Simmons, to give me the opportunity to sit on his Evansville men's basketball bench, which gave me the opportunity to be around sports, to be around coaches, college basketball, be able to shoot free throws before Evansville home games. And also when I was at Evansville, Tom Benson taught me how to broadcast games and I would listen to the play-by-play broadcaster and study his or her style, read facts on both teams, and then try to talk to both teams' players and coaches before whatever game it was that I was commentating. Gotcha. And if you could just talk a little more about, you know, the the preparation process, what, what goes into a broadcast, you know, preparing for that. 
I would normally study between 14 to 16 hours for every game that I commentated, and along with reading facts on, on every player, I would try and talk to, to some players from both teams before whatever game I was commentating, if it was basketball, and there was going to be uh, something where I could hear the ball bouncing off the rim or swishing through the net if they were going to have a have a sound microphone up on the rim or the backboard. I would go shoot free throws on the court before the game to figure out if the rim was loose or tight and how the ball was going to bounce off the rim. Uh, for when I did baseball and softball, I always ensured that the crowd microphone was set at a good enough level so I could hear the umpire calling a ball or a strike or the sound of the ball hitting off the catcher's glove or the dart so I could call that when I was commentating uh, so the play-by-play broadcaster would not have to step in and to call that pitch. If it was a pitch I could call or if I could tell that a free throw was made or, or somebody made a two-point or a three-point basket, I would I would call it just so that we wouldn't have to be interrupted by waiting on the play-by-play broadcaster to say what the call was on the court or the field. Right. Very interesting. And I know, I think it was an interview I had heard that you had done where you talked about, you know, really getting to know and then kind of learning the speech patterns of the play-by-play person that you, you know, would work with. It's very important to know the play-by-play broadcaster's style because he or she has the true style of the radio broadcast. So I would study if the play-by-play broadcaster talked a lot, then I would not talk as much. If the play-by-play broadcaster didn't talk as much, then I would talk more in some spaces because it's important to give the fans who are listening to the action the opportunity to hear the crowd or the ball dribbling on the court or bouncing off the rim or the ball hitting the catcher's glove just so they can hear all, all the sounds of the various games. Right. Very interesting. And I'm curious, did you like actually listen back to recordings of these play-by-play individuals? or I would just listen to the play-by-play broadcaster live commentating other games whenever I'd be listening before I commentated a soccer match or a basketball game I would I would just listen to the play-by-play broadcaster who I was commentating with and by the time I finished in college I commentated with the same people probably 20 or 30 times so it didn't really matter as much gotcha I see and then as far as the sports what specific sports uh, have you broadcasted I've commentated college baseball, college basketball, college soccer, college softball, minor league baseball, five minutes with the Boston Celtics radio broadcasters, and that's about everything. Wow. I'm definitely curious about that Celtics experience. What was that like for you? It was interesting. Uh, My friend Brad Stevens is the Boston Celtics coach, and I've known him since he was at Butler. And the first time Boston went in to play uh, the the Indiana Pacers in December 2013, I was sitting with the Celtics radio broadcasters so I could get the live feed of the Pacers-Celtics game without the 8 to 10 second time lapse that that normally happens in a a basketball game, uh, in a pro basketball game. And, And both the Celtics broadcasters Cedric Maxwell and Sean Grandy knew I commentated games on the radio and they put me on for the last five minutes. It was definitely different with the 24 second shot clock versus the, uh, at, at that point, men's college basketball had 35 second shot clock. So that was what I was used to. So the faster shot clock was a little tough to adjust to, but I did fine with that. Right. Right. Very cool. Do you have a favorite sport that you've, you know, commentated for? I don't really have a favorite sport that I've commentated. 
I definitely think soccer is a challenge for me. I've not commentated a soccer match, though, since 2015. Uh, just with the offsides call and 22 players running around on the field makes it really challenging. But every time that a play-by-play broadcaster wants to give me the opportunity to commentate a game with them in in whatever sport, I'm really thankful for that opportunity because I know there are many people who would not want to let me commentate with them since I cannot see. So I'm grateful for every opportunity that I have to commentate whatever game it might be. Nice, yeah. And then also if you could just talk a little more about what, what you really enjoy most about, you know, putting on those headphones, getting in front of that microphone, actually, you know, being up in a booth or wherever you might be, you know, location-wise and actually, you know, broadcasting that game. I really enjoy being able to give back for all of the radio broadcasters who helped me get interested in the sports and to be able to give the fans a true picture of the players and coaches of their favorite team or of whatever team who might be playing and really showing how these players and coaches have have to overcome obstacles and challenges in their own lives and, and how they are so similar to the fans. I really, I really enjoy portraying players and coaches as actual people, not as mythical heroes who fans listen to or look up to. Yeah, that's a great point. I think a lot of people get caught up in the drama of a game and a sport and forget that these are, you know, actual human beings, whether it's the players or coaches or trainers or, you know, anybody involved in the game. I think that is very important because players and coaches are just like fans and they all have struggles in their lives or they all do great things to help people so when i'm on a broadcast i try to bring all those things to light and to talk about them gotcha nice and then i know earlier you did mention uh you know the st louis cardinals the the radio broadcasters any specific names you want to mention as far as radio or tv that that you're fans of or have been fans of in the past I don't really listen to games on television if I can help it because I I don't know what's happening since the television broadcasters use the the pictures to describe the action. But broadcasters who I enjoy listening to would be Mike Shannon and John Rooney of the St. Louis Cardinals, as well as Pat Hughes of the Chicago Cubs, Brian Barnhart of the Fighting Illini football and basketball broadcasts, and Don Fisher of the Indiana Hoosiers football and basketball broadcasts. I've had the good fortune to become friends with all of these broadcasters, and and they they are really the broadcasters who got me interested in sports. So it's really an honor to be friends with them and to have been able to speak with all of them and tell them how much listening to them changed my life and, and really got me interested in sports. Nice. Very cool. And just to kind of, you know, wrap up this part of the conversation, is there a a particular team or, you know, as as far as a goal that you might have when it comes to broadcasting, any kind of dream job or dream game that you'd love to be able, you know, to be in the booth for? I don't really have a dream job or a certain game or team that I'd like to commentate with or for, just as I told you before, anytime somebody wants to let me commentate a game, that's the most important game that I have on the schedule. And and having worked one time with a radio broadcaster who didn't think I could commentate games because I can't see, he would tap me with his pencil when he wanted me to talk and tap me again with his pencil when he wanted me to be quiet. That was really hard and really frustrating for me. 
he only did that the first time that I ever commentated with him because he, he uh, realized that I can commentate even though I can't see what's happening. So just any time that I'm given that opportunity, I'm really grateful and, and thankful for that, whether it's a high school game, college game, professional game. I treat every game the same. Gotcha. I see. All right, so then as far as the Beautiful Lives Project, definitely have a lot of questions about that. Talk to me about, you know, what uh, what inspired you to start that organization? And I know you mentioned being a co-founder. Who, who you know, did you team up with to actually form that? I became friends with Anthony Icavone in April of 2017. Anthony is the owner of the New Britain Bees professional baseball team on the East Coast. They are by Hartford. And I told Anthony how being a part of, of Evansville basketball had really changed my life and how I wanted to give that back to individuals of all disabilities to help them live their dreams in a wide number of platforms and programs, programs in sports where people of all disabilities can play on the court or the field with their favorite college, high school, or professional sports teams across the country, programs in the arts where people of all disabilities can take part in in programs with art. They can do coloring programs or, you know, probably they can color, paint, learn how to quilt, and then on-stage programs where they can do music events or take part in a play, the nature events where they can go to zoos or even go on nature trails and nature walks, and then also programs where they can have a healthy lifestyle, where individuals of all disabilities can learn how to exercise in the best healthy manner that works for them. And even though different disabilities have different challenges of, of certain exercises that they cannot do or could be hard for them, exercises can always be modified. So pretty much anyone can do anything they want if they set their mind to it. We work to break down uh, barriers and stereotypes and to make dreams come true. We want to give people of all disabilities the opportunity to make friends and to have lifelong bonds that come out of whatever event or program they are attending with the Beautiful Lives Project. Very nice. That's such an awesome organization and just um, I'm a huge fan of what you're doing with that effort and you know really root for for that success because there are so many people out there that just never get any kind of opportunities to do much and to be able to provide them those opportunities is just absolutely awesome. That's something that we try to do because we want everyone to be able to live their dreams, just like Marty Simmons gave me the opportunity to live my dream of, of being a part of a college basketball team. We want to give people of all disabilities the opportunity to live their dreams in sports and as many other programs and platforms across the country as we can. Nice, yeah. And speaking of sports, can you kind of talk about you know some of the examples as far as events that you've had with different sports teams, whether it's college or pro teams? Yes, we've done uh, events in the past where people of all disabilities can play on the court with the Pennsylvania Quakers men's basketball team. We've done events where people can do cheers with a college cheerleading team at East Carolina University or perform with the Northern Iowa dance team or the Eastern Kentucky dance team. Play on the court with the Windy City Bulls, which is the G League team for the Chicago Bulls. Play on the court with the Texas Legends, which is the G League team for the Dallas Mavericks. And last year in Cumming, Georgia, people of all disabilities had the opportunity to play on the field with some of the best AAU softball players before 
a, a tournament that was put on by Triple Crown Sports called USA Nationals. We had three fields running at once. One field featured individuals who are blind from the Athens uh, beat baseball team playing against some high school softball players from, from Georgia. And it was really interesting because these high school softball players had never really played beat baseball before. So it was different for them. We're having to wear a blindfold, trying to hit the ball, feel the ball, and, and it really showed them that they shouldn't take playing sports or playing softball for granted. So those are the moments that we try to foster with the hosts of our of our programs learning things and then the participants of our programs getting experiences and, and teaching our hosts things about themselves and things about their life and things about overcoming obstacles and challenges that they never realized. Wow, that's awesome. And I'm curious, are there any specific examples of, you know, an individual with a disability who's had the opportunity to participate in one of these events as far as, you know, what they've told you about the experience and how much it really meant to them? I don't think it's fair to segment one person's experience over another person's experience. I can tell you last year we served over 3,000 people of all disabilities with our programs, and this year we have currently served over 1,000 people of all disabilities so far in this year of, of 2020. And every person's experience is important, no, no more or no less important than, than any other individual's experience. So, you know, we definitely have people um, in the past who, for example, did not want to play on the field with a baseball team or so they were worried to swing the bat or to run the bases. So every so often we would send over a player to talk with that person and, and eventually they'd be up swinging the bat and they'd be running the bases. So those are, those are always great, great times whenever someone's able to conquer their fears or conquer something that, that they feel nervous about doing. Right. Very cool. I know that you've also uh, done some other projects. I know that you were involved with the, the Baltimore Orioles actually wearing Braille jerseys, uh, I believe. Was it two years ago that they did that? The Baltimore Orioles Braille jersey game was in September 2018 when the Orioles faced the Toronto Blue Jays. I've been the disability consultant for the Orioles since June of 2016. In addition to the Braille jersey game, at that game there were 150 fans who who are blind or or visually impaired came to that game, and I ensured that those fans were able to read the food menus at Camden Yards but by, I actually brailled by hand all the food menus for the food stands where these fans would be sitting in the outfield seats. I ensured that their guide dogs had places to use the bathroom and that all the ushers were trained to assist people who are blind or groups such as that to have the best experience uh, during that game as possible. In addition, I have ensured that Camden Yards, as well as the Orioles Spring Training Stadium in Sarasota, Florida, and Smith Stadium, are accessible for fans of all disabilities to enjoy baseball and, and have the best experience at a baseball game possible. Very nice. And just going back to the, the Braille jerseys, I just found that to be so fascinating. I remember when that made the news and everything. And I'm curious, did you hear any feedback from the players at all about their, their experience wearing those jerseys and kind of what they thought? 
the players thought it was really interesting to wear Braille jerseys. Most of them had never actually seen their names written in uh, Braille, so they enjoyed looking at that and uh, wearing those jerseys and really showing how important it is for people who are blind to to learn how to read Braille, because most people learn how to read Braille when they're younger, if they're blind. I learned whenever I was five and, and uh, six years old, but if, if someone becomes blind partway through their life, he or she sometimes does not want to read Braille because they feel nervous about it or that someone may stare at them or even think of them differently. But during an event such as this, it really brought forth that people who, who want to learn how to read Braille or who even need to learn how to read Braille, that anybody can do it any time in their life and that it's okay to want to do that and to do that because it, it opens up such a great world of possibilities for people who are blind or, or even you know, teachers to teach people who are blind how to read Braille and how it can really bring back the the world to to so many people who may not have that yeah that's a great point and then i also know that you've done a lot of work i know you mentioned as far as you know making stadiums accessible to fans of all disabilities and and whatnot can you talk about any specific examples of what you know what your goals are and maybe some specific changes that have been made or that you know that you think make stadiums more accessible in general so normally when I get a stadium, I would just walk through the stadium. I would ensure that tactile strips on the stairs are not worn out. I would check to see if the doors on the suites, if those doors can be slid partway open or if they have to be open or closed all the way. If that is the case of the doors just either being open or closed, I would try to get them to put a sliding glass door on the suites, which you might see, say, on your patio. So if we have fans come to a game who have autism or who are blind maybe or things like that who, who cannot deal with the noise of the game or it just bothers them, that they can maybe move to a suite where there there is that sliding glass door so they could slide the door open maybe 10 to 15 percent of the way and they could get a little bit of the noise and if they want more of the noise they'd, they'd, they'd slide the door halfway open so those are things that i think about and there's there's even more but you know just 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 going on the stadium going through the the list that i have in my head and, and crossing off things because i really take it very seriously whenever someone wants me to help them make their stadium accessible for fans of all disabilities so i think about people who are blind people who are deaf people who are in wheelchairs, people who have autism, a whole host of, of individuals who might be attending these, these sporting events or whatever events they're having at these venues. Right. Very interesting. I also wanted to ask you about, you know, just attending a sporting event as a blind individual. I know myself, you know, oftentimes I may take a radio and then try to listen to the game or with streaming now, I try to maybe pull up the game on my phone, but oftentimes there's a lag, you know, just because of the streaming, so it's not really coordinated or correlated with the live action. Do you have any thoughts on, you know, ways to perhaps make that experience any better? I don't normally go to games if there is a lag. I know that in Baltimore's home games, both at Camden Yards and at Ed Smith Stadium, they don't have any any time lapse between the actual broadcasts that they are putting on the radio and what one would hear in their headphones at the game. Now, if you streamed it on your phone through the XM radio app or the Sirius XM app or other streaming services, there would probably be, be a time lapse. But 
Baltimore is one of a couple of teams who do not have a time lapse. I know that the Phillies also do not have a time lapse in their broadcasts, and it just makes it frustrating for me to go to a game when there is a time lapse, whether it's a college game or a or a a pro game. And if there is a time lapse, I I would rather just not go. You know, sometimes I still have to go, but I'd rather just listen at home, honestly. You know, knowing when the crowd cheers. Um, it isn't very much fun when you're behind that action and, and you hear the crowd being upset or being so excited and, and not really knowing what happened until five to ten seconds later. Exactly. I'm definitely with you on that. And, you know, a lot of times it is just whoever I go with, you know, if most of the time I would go with somebody and they're kind of doing the play-by-play, you know, next to me, and I know they're not necessarily interested in doing that, so I I feel like there definitely are some opportunities, and that is interesting that some teams, like you said, do seem to make maybe more of an effort to to provide that. It can also be somewhat of a risk doing that, though, because the whole reason why teams have these five, eight, ten-second time lapses is if there's something that gets said on the radio or something that gets picked up by a crowd microphone, that that can be possibly cut out with that uh, time lapse in the broadcast. So the teams who don't have that are taking a great risk, actually, and really trusting in their radio broadcasters, broadcasters to not say something on the radio that, that they would wish taken out or to have back. Right. Definitely a good point. I know I was also reading uh, recently uh, this article about uh, this company. It's called Minds Eye Audio Productions. I believe it's based out of Illinois. And they, they provide audio description for, you know, a lot of, say, theater events. But I guess they've also been doing some sports stuff recently. And I, I read about how they they went to this, you know, it was a St. Louis Blues hockey game and provided headsets to some blind and visually impaired fans and actually had a gentleman... You know, not only doing play-by-play there live at the stadium for those fans, but describing, you know, visually the crowd and, you know, the the players and their jerseys. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that or, you know, any experience with that at all. I haven't used something like that, but I think something like that would be really uh, important. And maybe that's something teams could, could hire someone to to do for their various games. I don't think that should be a cost that the fans have to take on and to pay for themselves because everyone, when they come to a game, they should be granted as close to as equal and experience as possible, no matter what challenges or, or different ways or things a fan may be needing to view or to consume the sporting event. Right. Definitely a good point. Okay. And just, uh, just to wrap up here, just a few other things. What would you say your overall message is for someone who's blind and visually impaired? Uh, let's start with, you know, let's say someone who's interested in, in going into broadcasting, whether it's sports or news or, you know, any kind of broadcasting work, what kind of advice would you have for that individual? If someone who's blind or visually impaired would like to go into broadcasting, I would say definitely study that and try to learn as much in it as you can, but also study something else along with it because you could be a super fantastic broadcaster and people just don't want to give you that opportunity because they are nervous that you cannot do things because you can't see or you are visually impaired. And even though you can do all these things fine, you just may never get that opportunity, which is really unfortunate, but that's how things are in the world now. And I would hate for someone to go to college, 
study broadcasting and then not be able to to find a job in it and they spent four years or or even six years you know doing that so i would suggest double majoring in your undergraduate and studying broadcasting and then also studying something else if that's something you're interested in uh, doing definitely some good advice there yeah and then as far as the beautiful lives project and perhaps even broadcasting and just kind of all your work what kind of goals do you have for the future what else would you like to achieve i know you've done so much already but i'm curious what else what else is in store for you with the Beautiful Lives Project, we're always looking to open more chapters across the country, to find more chapter presidents, to help us find people, to help us with fundraising, helping us through investing in smiles. I'll give out our nonprofit website in case people want to look at that. It's www.beautifullives.org, beautifullives.org. People can also call me or email me to learn more about my life and the nonprofit. My email is bryce at beautifullives.org, B-R-Y-C-E at beautifullives.org. My phone number is 812-899-5673, 812-899-5673. People could call me or text me as well with, with any questions. I hope to get more sports teams along with, with Baltimore to do programs to help people of all disabilities to to live their dreams as well and to do more programs such as the Braille Jersey event because those are programs that really will help to break down barriers and stereotypes. No doubt. Very well said. Cool. Well, hey, Bryce, I really appreciate the time. You gave some great insight. You just have such a positive attitude and a great message. And I, I really appreciate you joining us here on the Eyes Free Sports podcast. Yes, Greg. Thank you so much for having me on. Hopefully I'll hear from some of your listeners and they'll want to be a part of the Beautiful Lives Project, either as a chapter president or even maybe taking part in, in some of our events and programs across the country. Absolutely. Definitely. All right. Thanks so much again, Bryce. Really appreciate it. Take care. Thank you. To hear more episodes of the Eyes Free Sports podcast, visit eyesfreesports.com. Follow the podcast on social media at facebook.com/eyesfreesports and on Twitter at eyesfreesports.